Welcome to episode 29 of the False Neutral Podcast. I am Pete, and with us are our two regular co-hosts, Garrett and Eric. Say hello, guys. Hey, hey. Good morning, afternoon, evening. And uh, we have a special guest this week. Uh, you know him as Jeep Jeff. Uh, introduce yourself. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Jeep Jeff. Pete asked me to uh, join the conversation because I just got back from uh, the 24 Hour of Lemons rally, Hell on Wheels, uh, their inaugural rally. And you rode was, it uh, on a what? A TW200. Yes. Woo. Okay. Well, before we get into that, we have some old business. Eric, what were you about to tell me when we uh, went ahead and started the recording? Yeah, I, what is today? Today is, as we're recording this Wednesday, so it must have been Monday I saw it uh, pop up on Facebook. And I don't know if it was for sale or someone just posted a picture in general, um, but it was uh, it was the Flying Milliard. Uh, so the 5,000cc V-twin uh, creation of Alan, Alan Milliard, and it looks like, a, as I recall, a 1920s. Uh, we'll just say a Crocker, just 1920s kind of motor board track kind of motorcycle. Um, it was, and, and the and the engine kind of resembles a little bit of a of a Vincent. So it was it was just very cool looking. But that motor was gigantic. It yeah. actually it actually uses two cylinders off a big I want to say Pratt and Whitney uh, aero radial engine. And it's a 5,000 cc, five liter V twin. What did I say? Did I say 500 cc? I'm at 5,000. No, no, you, yes. you said 5,000. That's two okay. and a half liters per cylinder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And and I follow him on Facebook, which everybody should, because he's absolutely. I I have such a huge man crush on him. <laughs> going back to the days when he was building five and seven cylinder Kawasaki two stroke, or yeah, Kawasaki two strokes. And he's done so much stuff. He owns the Viper bike. And I will tell you, this is not for sale. The reason it has been showing up all all over the place is he wrote it to the Isle of Man and back. He's put incredible amounts of miles on these really, really weird extreme bikes, but he makes them rideable. And uh, there is a YouTube video of him just cruising down a country lane on the Flying Milliard and from the rider's point of view, you would have no idea it wasn't just some old, uh, you know, antique bike. And when you look at it from the side, the thing is just gigantic. Uh, yeah, the Flying cool. Milliard is, I think, my favorite of his creations because of the proportions. It's just, it's such a neat looking bike. It's not too wild and crazy like a motorcycle with a Viper engine or some of those like you know, 17 cylinder things that he builds, but this one is just amazingly cool. And, uh, he definitely gets out and rides him. Uh, I will say that I have been in contact with him personally, and he has agreed in principle to be a guest on our podcast. We just need to work out the logistics of, of both the time difference. And he's a very busy man. 
who does lots of cool stuff and we would be way, way down on his priority lists. But we're going to try and get him on and he has at least agreed in principle. Uh, okay. Uh, more old business. Rob Krupa, you are a dirty little podcast whore. Uh, <laughs> I'm, Gee I, I, I'm, I, I'm totally joking, but I just listened to the po- the Cafe Racer podcast, and he asked them the exact same Zephyr 750 question that he asked us, and they talked about it on their podcast. Amazingly, they went in the same direction we did and just talked about how cool the stock tank was on the Zephyr 750. Yeah. So... uh my friend still loves his. Yeah. And the uh, Maxim that it replaced uh, still, it has some first gear issue. I don't know. I think that he made the right decision for sure <laughs> by getting the Zephyr. They brought up one good thing is if it's been sitting for 10 years, the best bike in the world can be a really lousy idea. Buying Absolutely. an old bike that needs a whole lot of attention. Speaking of which, how's the TX 750 doing? Uh, right now it is, um, getting put back together. So, you know, I've been through the carburetors on that probably at least two dozen times now, um, altering jetting and everything else. And I had thought when I first did it, that it had these stock size jets in it. And so I never checked them again, uh, after the main jet. Uh, and then, so I was having, as I talked about, I think on the last week's podcast, uh, some detonation issues. And so I looked at the main jet and it is two sizes smaller than what uh, Yamaha spec, what it was supposed to have originally, which makes sense now. And I just like, I always told myself every time that I wrote it, like, well, it's got the stock jetty and I don't know what else could be wrong with it. Well, no, it doesn't have the stock jetty. And I just spaced it looking at it. So it's always the simple, stupid things you overlook. Yeah, so I rebuilt the carbs again, um, put the right jetting in it, and then I'm just going through the timing once more, and then it'll be back on the road. You had you had a bit of a get-off this week? I did have a bit of a get-off, yeah. So I've been battling trying to have a motorcycle that just works like it's supposed to. And so over the last three months, and I've talked about it a million times, I've been building a supermoto, and I had just finished it on Sunday. Just put the license plate on, finished up all the little loose ends. It was ready to ride. So I fired it up. Five minutes into my ride, I laid it down. And I at first, I thought that it was just user error, cold tire, whatever else. It was a slow speed get off. I was turning left at a light um, at a pretty major intersection, actually, where I live. And I was just kind of lightly accelerating out of the corner and the rear tire just completely came out from underneath the motorcycle. I slid down the middle of the road. Uh, and then so it was pretty dramatic looking because the motorcycle has titanium foot pegs. And so there is just bright white shower of sparks as I'm sliding down a major intersection in the city at 7 p.m. when everybody's out. Right. Um, and so like, I instantly lost all confidence in the motorcycle, the tires. I didn't know what the hell happened. Uh, so I got it home, uh, just set it aside. But then the other day I was looking at it and I noticed that the dust seal and the rear hub was completely gone out of it. And there was some aluminum shavings in it. 
So I took the rear wheel off to figure out that the bearings and the rear hub are about four millimeters larger on the inner, um, the inner diameter on the bearings than the axle. And so the wheel can actually move a lot, which you can't really tell when it's bolted together because there's tension on it and you can't move it by hand. But as soon as I put throttle to it, the sprocket side jammed forward and the brake side jammed backwards and it kicked the wheel out and the turn and caused the crash. So, um, you know, that was definitely my responsibility. Yeah. My responsibility for not checking it, uh, when I put it together. So, uh, I learned a lesson, a hard one, a painful one. (laughs) My backside's pretty screwed up. My jacket, boots and helmet are all scratched up. It tore the pinky uh, I was wearing some really nice leather riding gloves, and it tore the pinky off the left side of glove that I was wearing. So I'm sure if I hadn't have been wearing those, my pinky would have been pretty mutilated. Um, luckily, the motorcycle almost suffered no damage. It miraculously went down on the left side, and I have handguards on it, nice aluminum uh, bolted on handguards. And so it slid on the handguard, the foot peg, and the kickstand nub and was just kind of propped up off of the ground as it slid. So it scraped the bottom side of the foot peg, the kickstand and the handguard, but that's it. Not a single scratch to a frame, plastic, swing arm. Wow. You, just, else. you just spent a whole lot of money on your graphics. So that's good news. Oh God. I just spent a whole lot of money building the entire thing. And to go down within the first five minutes, I was so, so upset. So upset that that happened. And that's the same one where you put the video you shared with the the axle. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. So I'll throw a picture in with this so Pete can uh, put it in the Hooniverse podcast site. But it's a beautiful looking supermoto. And I spent a lot of time and money building it. And so I was just so upset to go down in the first five minutes. My ass cheek is completely ground apart. I I crashed and it tore my the back of my jeans off of me. And my wallet completely disintegrated. And somewhere around me, I have a Costco card that literally wound up in four pieces after this crash. <laughs> my uh, my license is no longer legible. Like, you can't see my picture or anything else on the license because it was underneath my ass cheek because I was sliding down the road. Costco card in a million pieces. My wallet blew into a million pieces. I mean, it just completely disintegrated my pants, my wallet, my all the cards in it, and my debit card and a credit card, my ID, my Costco card was all over the middle of this intersection. So as my motorcycle, I put it back up, but I had to go collect all of my stuff. It was like a yard sale. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> I, my brother is a 911 dispatcher here in the same city, and I, I just got out of there. My supermoto, it looks like a dirt bike. And so I imagine somebody called the police and like, hey, this guy just was riding his dirt bike down the street and crashed it. And I was imagining police showing up and I just didn't even want to deal with that. So I got out of there pretty quick. But I told my brother to see if there's any calls that came through. And if there are, uh, he'll send them to me so I can play them uh, for the podcast. I'm sure people called and they save all the recordings. So if there's one, I'll be able to get it. (laughs) So... Well, yeah, I, I I did actually get out on the CL125 last night. Uh, yeah. My, my wife had an appointment. I was home alone. Uh, I walked her to her car, and she drove off, and I was coming back into the garage, and it was sitting there, and I saw, thought, 
man, I haven't even started it in forever. Darn it. I'm going to just grab my helmet and my gloves and put my jacket on and uh, took off. I, I, I did like 10 miles. I had replaced the gasket on the fuel cap, and I discovered that the actual top of the tank where the fuel opening is is not flat so it doesn't seal even with a good gasket and mm. that's my fault because there was a bunch of dents and i took a, a broom handle and was going through the opening to tap out the dents and i think i tweaked it just enough that i don't know how i'm going to fix that but uh uh it was nice to know and i have a working speedometer that's my, a miracle yes i went out and bought just one of those little drag specialties or custom chrome no-name chopper speedometers yeah. and and hooked it up and it worked. And I figured out something else. I was having real problems with it idling high and low and dying and everything. It won't idle with the turn signals going. <laughs> 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 because I kept, I'd come up to a stop and I'd be okay. And then I'd go to, at the next stop sign and it would just die in me. I was like, what that? And I realized, oh, it's when I have the turn signals on. So what I think I'm actually going to do is I'm going to go out and get some lithium batteries just regular double a lithium batteries and actually have total loss separate circuit for the turn signals just a six volt i'm not because i was thinking about making a 12 volt system out of it and i looked at all the stuff i'd need to do to that and i was like well the only problem is the turn signals you know what i mean they don't draw that much i could use four lithium double a's and get those to run for hours and hours especially because they're intermittent on a flash. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So I'm yeah. going to set up some total loss turn signals and fix the tank and I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be set to go. So yeah, just put just, some miles on it. And when I got it out and I was actually just cruising down the street, I thought, you know, this is really a fun bike. I really kind of got excited about it again. The seat's yeah. comfortable. The ergonomic, it's such a small little thing, but it's got plenty of room on the seat that it's comfortable to sit on. And it sounds good. So I suppose, well, because it's it's a six volt system, so you can like switch to LEDs and because of lower draw, right? Yeah, and even if you could find six volt LEDs, uh, I'll run no, off of six volt, won't they? Uh, like the, pretty the much any LED. The problem yeah. is if they're twelve volt, they usually will cut out and not work at all below about eight or nine. Oh, okay. Because what they're the, doing there. Uh, I've got an electronics background. What they're doing there is the LEDs drop about one and a half volts. So they're stacking three or four of them on top of each other and then a small resistor to limit the current through the LEDs. And so you need, like, you could probably buy LEDs that they use to build those lights, stack them too high, and then adjust the resistor size, and then it would work and would draw less. But it, well, it'd be a project. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I certainly could. I'm not sure I want it because I can, we make LED vehicle lights at work, I can go talk to the engineers and rig up something. But at this point, I want to hit the easy button. Right. It was kind yeah. of those, you know, this is a really fun thing to ride. And I, when I had it out, one of the things was at idle, even when the turn signals were working, they were so dim. So I thought, you know, if I can get a really nice, good six volt current to them, that's separate from the engine speed, that will make me happy. It will make my wife much more comfortable with me because she's like, man, you can't see those. You just can't see those. So so is your Honda not putting out voltage uh, to charge the electrical system or something? I mean, they, is it they, just running purely off of the battery? No. 
every little, even the 12 volt, like the, it's the same stator that's in like the 350 twin. They're uh-huh. just anemic. They put out oh. maybe 40 volts or excuse me, 40 watts at yeah. redline. And, yeah. and <laughs> when you're just cruising around it, they're, they're just, yeah, they're putting out current, but I, I called a, a guy and talked to him that knows about all this kind of stuff. And he was like, even if you go out and get the best stator you can put in there, unless you wind your own, you're just not going to get good current it's, out of it. It's it's the height of 1950s technology, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to do the best I can and get them working so I can call it done and go out and have fun with it. Yeah. That that I, sounds like the right idea. The, the yeah. batteries just sound like the right way to go. It's, that sounds like the easy button. So. And, the other, if the other option, if you don't want to do double A, is what a friend of my my friend with the uh, Aprilia RS125 and RS250 like GP bikes, he used the um, the lithium batteries that uh, RC cars use. Oh, and that's what he would. That, he, that's, that's what he used for his. Yeah, because they have um, for like gas powered RCs, they have just receiver battery packs that actually don't. They just control the the speed controller and whatnot. Um, and the steering servos, but they make six volt, but really, really, really high amp hour batteries. Mm, that would be so an they'll last idea. for a long, long time. I, um, I also thought about some of the uh, some of the six volt uh, rechargeable drill batteries. You know, like for power tools, mm-hmm. the cordless power tools. Some of those are six volt, and uh, like Black and Decker, I know, makes some. And I was looking into that, but the problem with that is how do you hide it on the bike? Those are yeah, yeah so those are rather rather large and heavy too. Yeah. Um, I uh, I had about twenty minutes over the weekend and so I decided to I had bought some sandpaper when I went through Home Depot, I think. Yeah. And so I pulled the pulled the points off my bike and was trying to clean them up, thinking, okay, well if I clean up points up a little bit, maybe the um the right cylinder would be firing all the time. So I like I said Took it apart, filed them or filed them, sanded them up a little bit, put it back together, and I swear now that the right cylinder works fine and then the left cylinder is intermittent. <laughs> <laughs> but having not, because I just had that small amount of time to mess with it, um, I'm like, all right, I'll just, I'm going to have to come back to it. And I, li- I literally haven't had time. Yeah, uh, the the bummer thing with points is it's kind of an all or nothing thing because they have to be gapped right, and so yeah. once you change the gap, then you change your timing. So you really have to gap them, get them set right, and then time it right. And you really can't just do one. Each affects so I, the I, other. I, I did take the sandpaper to both sets, both sides of the points, just to yeah. just to make sure. But yeah, yeah. they look pretty good. So uh, who knows? I'd yeah. probably just go buy a new set of points for it and be done with it. I got my CT70 out for the first time, and like it, it must be over a year since I've ridden the thing. And because a friend of mine's daughter just got her motorcycle permit and was hoping to learn how to ride. And I thought that my Trail 70 would be just perfect for her to start out on. And it had been sitting for so long, the gasoline was just about gelatinous. And it was like right at that point where it was still liquid, but only barely. And it just smelled horrendous. So I spent a bunch of time going through the carburetor and uh all the other little things to make it run and riding um but it was kind of neat because like you pete i i haven't ridden it for so long i just decided to go around the block with it it was it was so much fun i almost thought about just putting the supermoto and the tx750 aside and just riding my trail 70 around for a while because it always works well when i keep fresh gas in it but 
it's a little Honda. It just is super reliable. But at any rate, I think that my friend's daughter will probably have a good time learning how to ride on it. It's got an aftermarket engine, so it actually has a clutch and four-speed transmission. So it'll teach her the fundamentals. Okay. Jeff has been very patiently sitting and listening to us talk about other things while we invited him on as a guest. Uh, Jeff, tell us about your adventure on your TW200. You know, I was going to listen to the show anyway, so I this is kind of a, a preview. <laughs> so it wasn't too bad sitting around, sitting and listening for the first 20 minutes. Anyway, back late winter, probably March or so, because I'm on the the, uh, the Lemons mailing list from being a driver, Jay Lamb sent me an email saying, hey, we're having this rally thing. And I okay, that's an easy budget to catch. It'll be a fun vacation and adventure. And it's Lemons, so I'm going to go look at my stable pick the most inappropriate vehicle and prep that. So I've got a Jeep and a Yamaha FC07 and the TW200. So I went with a little bike. Yeah. It was a fantastically bad idea. I had you, in great, other words, uh, it was great. It was great. <laughs> it was really great. Um, it did a, a fantastic job just getting down to Monterey and I stayed on back roads and service streets. And it what was, was the, uh, what was the total mileage? Of this whole trip that I, you took? It spent the last couple hundred miles in the back of a pickup truck. It, it didn't do the uh, the absolute full rally, so other people racked up more miles, but it put 1,300 onto the uh, odometer. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of miles right at TW200. So now tell me, was the rally, it sounds like it's actually on the road, not on a track. Is that right? Right. It was on the road. It's It was a it was a touring rally. They, uh, Steve McDaniels had the idea, like, you know those... Uh, Ponty Vinch guys that get out in the Gumball 3000 in their fancy cars. We're going to do that, but through Death Valley. Yeah. <laughs> was the uh, the elevator pitch. Um, I like it. Yeah. So, in this, fact, was like, it, so was this more like Rally rally North America than Gumball, or was it kind of a combination of the two? Um, I don't know the exact rules on those, but what we got were uh, each day we had a, a start day, or a start headquarters and a, and, and a uh, end of day headquarters. And a bunch of uh, of check-in points that we got to, had to get pictures of. So it was a, a scavenger hunt set up. Right, so that's more like Rally North America a little bit. Okay, yeah. cool. And like the first day was Monterey to Fallon, Nevada. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that See, sounds I, hot. <laughs> oh, well, that, that was the nice cool day. Oh, really? Now, yeah. <laughs> this is associated with lemons, but this is... this. There was no uh, $500 limit on the vehicle or anything like that, like there is on the Babe Rally or anything like that. Right. Uh, Jay Lamb came in his uh, his 911, although he wasn't really competing, and they screwed around a lot by, like, changing his score every day with, like, so it was always floating around, like, negative 700, negative 900 <laughs> points. Um, <laughs> but other people brought... Um, there was one Baja bug that was... Borrowed sight unseen by uh, uh, Steph Schrader of Jalopnik. Oh gosh, there was at least one actual race car from the uh, the Lemons course. Oh, the uh, Humber Super Snipe was out there. Yeah. <laughs> so there was one proper like five hundred dollar Lemons legal race car out there, and a lot of uh, different vehicles from across the uh, the spectrum. Uh, there was a smart car out there. There was an Edsel, which oh, is really? amazing. Yeah, yeah, that and everything in between. And uh, so, how, so how many vehicles I, were actually in it? 
Well, and more importantly, how many motorcycles were there? I was the lone biker. Oh, really? Yeah. Nobody Uh, brave enough to ride a TW200 except for you. (laughs) Right. At least one other person said, I wonder if anyone's going to do this in a motorcycle. So they they would deduct 2,500 points for showing up at a press loaner. So shouldn't you have got 2,500 points to the positive for being the only motorcycle? Anyone on on a motorcycle, but like... (laughs) Borderline. Steve gave me a bunch of Steve gave me a bunch of bonus bonus points about a hundred uh, about a hundred points per day for being on a bike. So gotcha. a significant fraction of my score was being stupid enough to be on a motorcycle. I, I I do like I like I like the approved vehicle list. Anything street legal, insured, and defensive to gullwing guys. <laughs> yep. <laughs> when I asked Steve about the motorcycle, he said, "Is it insured and, and street legal?" I was like, "Yep, bring it. I hope someone brings a dump truck." <laughs> so top speed wise what what were you at about like 50 50 55 in, in full tuck yeah <laughs> um i uh i took it over ebbets pass which tops out at 8700 feet oh and uh i was definitely losing significant amounts of horsepower at the top but it was still running pretty hard in uh fourth gear and i was able to like i my cruising speed didn't drop below about 30 or 40. That's I mean, pretty there are points where I was going slower because it's a very windy road. Yeah, I imagine on something like that, uh, in some parts of the course, like significantly holding up traffic because a TW200 is definitely not a speed demon. And I'm assuming you're on parts of the highway where the speed limits are much faster than a TW200 is going to achieve. That would have been day two in Nevada, where we went yeah. from Fallon down to Las Vegas. I, um, well, I took the short trip, route. People, they well, fly through there. They do. Um, and although the uh, the fun the funny thing was the people going around me wasn't so bad. Uh, I figured out how to like I did a lot of pulling off to the side to let people buy if there just weren't enough passing opportunities coming up. Uh, breaking as the trucks went by me, waving people around, and that all worked pretty well. It was the people coming the other directions who saw one headlight and parsed it as a car 10 miles down the road. And so I got run into the shoulder at one point by a guy who made his pass and then decided when he realized it was a motorcycle because I was honking at him, I'm just going to finish the pass. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So was it an easy decision to ride the TW200 versus the FC07, or did you contemplate for a while riding something a little bit more capable? I thought about it a little bit, but really the whole, because it was lemons, it was pretty easy to go, no, no, I just got to go with the worst thing. Like, go with the most inappropriate thing and go with the TW200. And I I mean, I love that bike. I've got about the same amount of miles on both bikes. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I'm closing in on the 6,000 mile mark for between the two of them. Wow. And I'm a relatively new writer, so that's about a year and a half of writing. That's a lot of miles. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, okay, I live in the Bay Area. I'm allowed to split through traffic if I yeah. want to go visit friends in the South Bay. Like, the FC07 is the far and away the best vehicle to take. Yeah. Um, they're way easier to park, even though the, the Jeep's super short, so it'll fit in a lot into uh, spots that, like, only a Geo Metro could fit in. But still, like, the bikes will slip between two cars on the side of the road. And having, having spent a decent amount of time in the Bay area and ridden motorcycles in the Bay area. And I, I, I completely understand. <laughs> yeah. 
like the moment I started riding around, it's like, this is, this is like the best way to get around the bay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very um, much so. Yeah. And it's ridiculously fun. I just love being on the bikes. You put some kind of custom graphics on the, on the TW before you took it out. I did. I will, I've got some pictures of it. Uh, so I'll, I'll send those along for the post. You know, it, it's got that big 180 section tire in the back on this little dirt bike and it looks completely ridiculous. And I've been joking the entire time I've owned it, that it's looks like something out of Mario Kart, and, uh, <laughs> and it's lemon. So they wanted themes. And I thought this is the time to take that joke entirely too far. So I, I'm a six foot tall Italian American. So the, uh, the obvious choice was to, uh, turn it into a Luigi bike. Now I know that means I put Kawasaki green on it and that's maybe a bit of a sin, but that's all right. Yeah, oh. it was pretty hilarious. And I uh, I made a, a jacket cover to make it look like I had a green shirt on with uh, coveralls <laughs> and then uh, put a big a white helmet with a big green L on it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That'd be. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see those pictures. That's, that'll be fun. Yeah, I really can't envision a more ridiculous use of a TW200 than <laughs> a long distance road rally. So other- yeah, I love it. Other than people trying to run you off the off the road from from passing, what were what were some of the other like big obstacles? Really, it was the heat on day two and day three, and actually even a little bit of uh, chain maintenance. Like I was oiling it every mo- or lubing it every morning and paying attention to it, but um, needed to be retentioned by the end of day two. When I got to the bike in Las in the morning in Las Vegas, I tipped it up ducked down, checked the oil, and the uh, it had consumed probably 300 milliliters of oil the night before. Uh, and that would have been probably just on the very last stretch getting into into Las Vegas. And it, the bike, when I parked it in the garage, the bike was putting off a lot more heat than I was used to. Mm-hmm. And uh, the manual and what I've read, it says that when the, uh, the chain starts slacking, getting a little bit too slack, it uh, puts a lot more uh, load on the engine. And I was also having to push it through like uh, 95 turns into an interstate, right? For the last couple miles. So I was pushing it maybe a little bit harder. And so I think it just barely overheated that night. And then Death Valley, like it was 115 degrees. degrees. <laughs> yeah, 115 degrees out there. There's no shade. Um, when I left Stovepipe Wells um, going west on 190, there's a sign that says next 20 miles turn off air conditioner to prevent overheating. And I'm on this air cooled oh, yeah. <laughs> three miles down the road. I just lose power and I pull it off to the side of the road and hit the kill switch and it diesels for another five seconds. And I'm, oh no, it was hot. It was hot. Yeah. Well, I'm imagining is if the motorcycle must've been turning 11 million RPMs trying to go, like some reasonable speed and then that heat and the air cooled motor, it probably really didn't yeah. like that. I probably should have taken it through the park at like 15 under the speed limit and as high gear as I could get it to go and not paying closer attention. That was a big mistake. I did manage to get out of death Valley on my own power. So if I understand you right, it did not finish the entire rally. You had to put it in a truck. I had to put it in a truck. Now that's not because the bike failed. That's because the rider failed. Um, oh, yeah. Did you do a me and Biff it in an intersection? 
Uh, no, it's just that like the end of the Death Valley day, like I spent a bunch of time on the side of the road, got a bit overheated, uh, yeah. ended up trying to retension the chain, had to do that a second time, three miles down the road because I made it too tight. And so having to do that twice in the heat just blew out everything. My entire body was sore after that. And then as I got out of the park, it was getting dark and I did go off to the side of the road and, um, one turn off had deeper, softer gravel than I was expecting. And right as I came to a stop, it I toppled. The bike was totally fine. Um, but at that point, I, you were probably just done with it all. I was just, I was wrecked. There was no one around. So I stayed on the course and just like did the uh, five to 10 miles on the bike and then check into the Iron Butt Motel for a, uh, a brief nap. Turns out motorcycle helmets are reasonably comfortable pillows. <laughs> is that right you mean while you're wearing That's, it or yeah like well let's see i could take the helmet off and get dirt in my hair or i could leave the helmet on it's got the padding in it and just lie down gently and <laughs> it was way more comfortable than i thought it would be yeah i've um, never had to experience that you yeah, get to a uh, point where you're if you're tired enough anything feels matters. as long as you're yeah. you're physically supporting all your limbs and your torso you can be comfortable uh yeah it's uh yeah yeah, this is not the first time I've put myself in that kind of a situation. <laughs> but as I as I was on the way down to uh, to Trona, California, one of the other teams that I had been playing uh, leapfrog with all day, Paul and his uh, brilliant bone stock, tired out, three hundred or four hundred thousand mile Mercedes two forty D, came past me as I was resting by the side of the road. And they saw me. They knew me. We'd been chatting, the la- talking with each other the last couple of days. And they turned around, pulled back, and turns out that Paul also rides. And uh, so we caravaned into uh, the last 150 miles into Bakersfield, and he actually took the bike for that section. Oh, cool. And then uh, I woke up the next morning, and I was like, okay, I am not able to get on a bike and ride. I'm just too exhausted. Just like I don't have... I need another day of recovery before I could hop on a bike. And there was another guy who on that same section of road had his hood fly up and slam into his windshield and completely smash his windshield. And so he spent the 150 miles from Trona to Bakersfield with like a windshield with massive cracks in it. Yeah. His hood and his trunk, his, his bed and uh, trying to fight through like every time a car would come at him, the, glare from the cracks would just cause him to lose all visibility it was a he he had a terrifying ride for that stretch too uh he had a 2001 dodge track with a 24 valve cummins diesel in it and so he spent the morning going out and getting new glass and because it's a a recent model year dodge pickup everyone has glass for it and was able to get that done by early afternoon and yeah um he and the uh Amanda, the woman with the smart car, who's also who'd also been caravanning because they just had the same cruising speed, they offered me a ride. In fact, Amanda was damn it that I was not getting on the bike, and she camped out in the lobby across from where I'd parked the TW two hundred, and she was gonna like run out and stop me if I tried to ride off. <laughs> but Eric Rude had actually contacted me and said that he'd actually talked to James, the owner of the truck, and organized getting us together and putting the bike in the back. Uh, like if that offer hadn't been there, I probably would have gone down to a U-Haul, yeah, rented a pickup one way, <laughs> and just put the bike in the back and booked it up to Santa Cruz, and then seen how I was doing. I sincerely hope that you 
at least got some recognition for uh, being crazy enough to try to do the whole rally on a TW200 <laughs> and everything that you went through to try to make it to the end. Uh, uh, I didn't get any official prizes, but like I made a lot of great new friends and like everyone was like, that's the craziest thing that anyone's done out here. I, I don't necessarily know that that's totally true. <laughs> because <laughs> like taking the Humber super snipe on that trip was also pretty far up there. Um, yeah. Now did they finish? Carol, uh, they did actually. Uh, they were, they were in Monterey on Saturday morning. Wow. Uh, although I did pass them a couple times in death Valley, dumping water into their radiator. <laughs> so they um, weren't screaming psychotic nonsense when they got to the finish. No. But they may have already been doing it at the start. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they, they were caravanning most of the time with uh, Mike Harrell, uh, another another Hooniverse regular. What what did he drive? He he had he, the uh, the DAF, the Volvo sixty six. He failed to get the the uh, Volvo sixty six down to the uh, the start. It died on him somewhere in the uh, the middle of uh, or oh, in, the, that, that's, in Southern yeah. Oregon. I read that. Yeah, he ended up towing that back up to Seattle, hopping in his international harvester truck and meeting us in Fallon. I think he made it to Fallon, Nevada two in the morning on the, uh, well, the third day at that point. Wow. But I, so I, I finally got to meet him in person, which was super exciting because we, we've been, uh, chatting on Hooniverse for years now at the end, at the, uh, the Las Vegas finish line. So. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're one of the, you're one of the long-time members of the commentariat. I uh, think I'm going on like five or six years now. Yeah. Wow. Well, I look back, and I've, I've been writing for them since, in some capacity, since 2010, I think. That, so, yeah. Wow. I, I'm actually about to have some of my first stuff go up on Hooniverse. Oh, very cool. Well, congratulations. Did, yeah, just some car stuff I'm helping Jeff out with. It, it's been a very unusual ride, because that... It started with just, you know, them being dissatisfied with what was happening at Jalopnik and said, hey, we can do a better job ourselves. And it's really kind of evolved into a very unique product, very unique destination. But I think it's very cool that people like Dr. Harrell and yourself, I mean, my wife does not understand when I talk about people that I know only through the Internet as my close personal friends. And she's like, I you don't even know these people. I'm like, no, I, I talk to them every day. What do you mean? Of course I know. Them. Yeah. Like I, I just moved down to uh, San Leandro and Chris Hansel also lives down here. And I've run into him a couple of times in town and I wouldn't have known him if I hadn't been commenting on the site. And Tim himself is like, he, Tim helped me with a, a suspension repair on the Jeep a number of years back. And of course, then I went and crashed his race car last February. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I haven't made that connection that you were. Yeah, the, no, that was me. I'm you were that the, idiot. You were the the ranchero race victim. Uh, the ranchero destroyer. Yeah, who I'm, was the I'm choosing of the I'm, ranchero. I, or I saw the the uh, the in car video. I'm not sure if it's yeah. totally victim or totally uh, destroyer of worlds. You're kind of. Somebody that was put in a very difficult situation without a whole lot of time to react. There were three drivers and mistakes were made. And I, I, I definitely have a list of things in my head that I think I did wrong. Um, 
Well, actually, going out on a racetrack in a ranchero is probably pretty <laughs> high on that list. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you see the, the the life decisions I make here? There's a, a long-standing pattern. <laughs> well, let's sign off for this week. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome back anytime. Don't. F- oh, great! Thank you, Pete. I just was recently talking with Brad uh, Tub of Camden Tubbed. And uh, I said, hey, when I'm going to be on again, and I really felt like I was, as I put it, inviting myself over to somebody's house to play their NES system. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he said, no, no, we'll have you on again. So if if you ever get bored and just want to jump in on a on a day we're recording, feel free to say, hey, can I can I hop on? And you're always welcome. And that's true for any of our guests. So. Oh, thank you. I'll keep that in mind. Um, I've definitely got motorcycle stuff to talk about in the future. Uh, Hopefully, I'm going to make progress on actually finishing the FCO7 sometime soon. Oh, uh, I'm glad you said that. Uh, Yes, I I would like to sit and talk about the FCO7 because we talked about it back in our uh, value for money. uh, That uh, it is one heck of a bike for the money. Among showroom new bikes, it seems like you got a deal on a used one. I think mine had a reasonably hard life for the first 5,000 miles, and I have not necessarily treated it too much better. Uh, Did you get a press bike? I, uh, no, I got a salvage bike that ah. uh, a stunter down in Santa Cruz did the up, up, and away when he tried to pop a wheelie. Yeah. And so ah. the uh, tail end got completely trashed, and it, the insurance company totaled it out and then auctioned it. Uh, so I had a, a fun time uh, last November and December sneaking it through the DMV and getting it uh, re-registered. I've always thought that's kind of bold of stunt riders to file an insurance claim after a stunting accident totaled their motorcycle, but I guess if the insurance company will pay, then and they're willing to take the hit. But that's cool. Yeah, I think we decided that the FC07 was among, I think it was our top value pick, but uh, speaking of that, my local Yamaha shop has a demo day, not this coming weekend, but the weekend after, and so I was really looking forward to going and riding an FC07 and a FC09 to really see what they're like because I've actually never been on one. So maybe after I do that, we should have you back on and we can talk about the FC07 a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to. Cool. I'm forgetting who it was and I'm even forgetting how they contacted us, whether it was Hooniverse or Facebook or where, but somebody let us know that they thought our paint and graphics two part episode Facebook. was really boring. So, uh, oh no, it was great. <laughs> oh man, yeah, there was there was a message on Facebook for which I just said thank you for your feedback. Admittedly, I listened to it while looking at the uh, the Hooniverse post, so I had all of the pictures of the bikes right there, and I could just see all of the graphics. And yeah, that is probably the best way to listen to it because we do talk a lot about about a lot of bikes. It, so. it probably went a little long, I would agree. Uh, but he said he wanted us to talk about things like engine modifications and suspension and stuff like that. The problem with that kind of stuff is if it's so bike specific that it's really tough. I wouldn't mind having a general. This, this guy must. This guy must be like a James May fan. He just wants to get all you know intricate with absolutely every little thing. <laughs> but we do listen to your comments, and uh, I did have a couple people like yourself say that uh, they really enjoy the graphics discussion. So that was a polarizing topic. Yeah. So okay, we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much, Jeff, for joining us, and uh, I will be talking to you in the comments section of uh, many, many Hooniverse posts. Oh, definitely. Thanks for having me. 
And yeah, and speaking of Hooniverse, you can find our podcast there and all the pictures of the bikes we talk about. And also, you can see us at Twitter, at The False Neutral, and Facebook, The False Neutral. Thanks, guys. You bet. We'll see you next week. Everybody say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>